1: Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. We have a great show with Brett, Brett Bevel, joining me here today. Uh, This is really, I'm going to say three words. And I just want you to hear them and be mindful of how you feel about them, because this is this episode with Brett, confronting white cowardice, confronting white cowardice in ourselves and in others, because this is what Brett does. And you've heard him on my show before. You've heard me talk about his fantastic book, one of his books, Healing Racism Within, Uh, You also will know him as a healer, uh, psychic Reiki, uh, the wizard's guide to energy healing, all of that. When you think about Brett, you really get this multidimensional aspect of what his life path and calling has been about. But today you're going to hear more. Today you're going to hear what is it about taking the pathway and being called to move forward on the pathway, any pathway that has the word racism in it. Brett, it's great to have you here. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back on your show.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is exciting in in a lot of ways. Uh, You're going to be doing this show. uh, And then in the next half hour, uh, I'm going to be talking about the future of an ethical Olympics in a lot of ways. And are they related or not? I don't know. But you're going to help us today. You're going to help us in the conversation. Let's talk about what we are looking at, what white cowardice looks like, how it shows up very, what's the word I want to use? Not subconsciously, maybe, maybe subliminally, but not if you're on the other end of it. But it shows up. And yet, we laugh at jokes, we turn our face away. Come on, tell us. How does it show up so people get a sense of what they can be aware of to change?
0: Yeah, I mean, so white cowardice, for me, it's like that that deeper underlying cause of what people often refer to white privilege. But to me, that term never quite felt like it went deep enough. Like white cowardice is really that psychological, emotional component that causes us to act basically in a in a cowardly way when confronted with issues of race. And, you know, for example, if you uh, are somebody who's experienced, you know, in the work environment, maybe there's a party and and somebody did a blackface joke, right? And then you try to raise awareness about the inappropriateness of that. Uh, or do you? Are you afraid to, you know, do people lash out at you if you if you do do that? And what's the underlying cause for their lashing out? Um, another way to look at that would be, say, you're walking down the street and you, know, you notice a group of people beating up one person and you you keep walking. And then, you know, uh, a mile later, you run into another group of people beating up somebody, but this time that person's white. And so you intervene. Whereas the first time, maybe you just didn't look the other way and just kept going. Um, so it's these subtle ways that, that sometimes we just don't really acknowledge the way that it, that it affects us. And it's really, you know, 500 years of programming that's living in our, subconscious in our cellular memory and in our culture in a very deep way.
1: You know, and let's talk about this for a minute, the way it shows up in our mainstream and not so mainstream. And I just want to be very clear about this. When we're talking about the things we're talking about today, it really does not have a boundary. And here's what I mean about it. It doesn't have a boundary about oh this group is really enlightened they don't do it okay those people over there or this group is really they these are the this group over here that political party they do it you know we have so categorized and wanting to point the finger rather than understand the behavior see if we could get an understanding behavior that doesn't have a boundary about political party sports teams SES, a- 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 C- S- you know, whether you're in an economic group of class or not, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. I think of it more like a, if you think of the, the ecosystem of our society has been has been polluted with this energy of racism. And just like, you know, it's pretty hard to find a glass of water where you can drink uh, that, that doesn't have some kind of plastic in it or some kind of pollutant in it. The same is true whether you're Republican or Democrat or whether, you know, you consider yourself to be very progressive or not that energetic pollutant of of racism exists in everything that 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 it surrounds us and so what my book is about what i'm trying to raise awareness about is how do we begin to look at that in ourselves and then move through that and transform it in ourselves so that we can then create a better world for for Mm. everyone
1: you know let's talk for a minute if we could about how white cowardice shows up Um, there are so many 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 ways Um, And what I mean by that is we have really blockbuster movies that have come out, like the movie Green Book, uh, Green Book, which talked pretty much about a situation, a real live one, but the nuances of this, right, Uh, the nuances of a guy from an Italian family who decides that he's going to take a job to, you know, travel with uh, a, a black musician and it really shows the nuances, right? But the nuances have to be addressed as more than a nuance. See, we say words like nuances and the issue really isn't that. Our behavior hurts people.
0: Yeah. I would say, you know, some of those again, what you would call nuances that are actually very painful and painful and really quite tragic when you mm-hmm. take it on the on the larger scale. Um, the biggest one that I find uh, is is silence, is that that thought that often happens um, among white people uh, that that we can just that we don't have to talk about the issue of race or that we can be silent in a conversation when somebody's being racially inappropriate. That we can. Um, just sidestep the whole issue and that that you know when you're a person of color you don't have the choice of 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 disengaging from that kind of behavior because you're you're the object of it but as 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 a white person one thing i've been very strongly aware of uh in my path is that is that how i i have the the privilege of avoiding that conversation entirely and then when i really dug deeper into that i realized that's just cowardly that's just cowardly to avoid those conversations and to not speak up when i know something is in, inappropriate and wrong um and so really taking taking that white cowardice and transforming it into the courage to speak up and to to speak the truth um regardless of the consequences
1: yeah and uh, you know i wanted to say to people listening is that we're really talking about outcomes which take bold acts of courage sometimes you know um I remember being younger, and there's a picture that Daniel put up yesterday of uh, me and my table tennis coach, Sam. And I didn't talk about this yesterday because we were kind of joking about ping pong. But when you see that picture of me, a young white girl and a black man from Ghana, Africa, and we were inseparable. I can only begin to tell you some of the stories and the word nuance I use because it's really difficult for people to hear what the real word is. But let's talk about the situation. You're in a restaurant and you're going in and it's Sam and I and we're everybody's going in this restaurant at competition and we're waiting in the chair to go in and 45 minutes passed four other people have been let in an hour has passed it's the only restaurant in the town we were playing in an hour and a half passes and we're still sitting there why and i gotta tell you i i was naive as a kid i mean it didn't dawn on me until one point where i just realized and i looked at sam and i said what is happening here And I can't remember his exact words. All I remember is I jumped up. I went to the, whatever, that reservation person that lets you in the place, and I made a scene because I'm in my 20s, and I don't understand that. But boy, that is a small situation for so many more actions that are happening in the world today, aren't they? That is a small example.
0: Yeah, it's a small example, and yet it, 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 it's like compounded so frequently daily, you know, in, in towns and cities, not just around this country, but all over the world. You know, I, I remember um, even when I used to travel to Asia quite oftenly, how how often there were, you know, commercials about cream that would that would turn your scolor, color skin color to be whiter. Uh, when I would be traveling in Bali and Thailand. And I thought, what what kind of mindset have we created around the whole world where people are ashamed of the color of their skin? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And um, and yet it's so prevalent. It's so prevalent. And one of the things that I've become much more aware of too, and just my own growth as a parent, because I am married to a woman of color. And so my my son is a little bit darker skinned than I am. And sometimes when he gets maybe passed over uh, during the line in the gym class or some other event that we've taken him to, you know, um, it becomes something that we we really start to question, like, hey, is that because of the color of his skin? Um, Maybe, maybe not. But it's something that we really has become part of our consciousness and part of our awareness and trying to raise that awareness on a grander scale.
1: You know, and let's talk about this, that that it shows up in your world and it shows up in the world all over. There's a purpose and a passion for you doing what you do. There is a purpose and a passion for understanding what this means to confront white cowardice. Now, I don't know if people even know this, but people of color have to take extra precautions just to be in the world. I'm not even going to go into it, but I'm just going to say extra precautions, precautions that maybe as a woman, I would take some of them like you'll never find me walking down a dark street in Newark, New Jersey, right, in the middle of the night. That's just common sense, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about people that are non-white.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I've learned so much of this, too, just from from being in in relationship with my my wife, who's a lovely human being and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, her bringing things to my awareness just regarding, um, you know, how she felt growing up, how she felt in terms of uh, feeling left out of situations and often wondering, is that because, you know, her skin is darker than than my skin or than many, many people's skin and to to have that be a constant factor in your life is something that um, it is mind boggling for me, even though, you know, we're still married, and we've been together for 20 years now. Um, it's hard for me to imagine what life is like when you have to endure that day to on, day on a constant basis. And so as as her partner, and also as one who I consider to be, uh, you know, recovering from my own childhood trauma around yeah. race, that that these are issues that I really want to look at on a much deeper level and that I really hope that, that people are willing to look at on a much deeper level.
1: What I want to ask you what comes to mind? Let's give people some examples of what comes to mind, you know, from your perspective. You know, I know I could sit here for an entire five hours and talk about the many times every time Sam and I went out together. Every time it didn't matter, right? Now, did I find myself trying to explain who he was? Did I get to the point where I made excuses about who he was? I got to tell you, I was pretty ignorant growing up. I i mean, ignorance has helped me in the world, right? Mm-hmm. But there are some real situations that we should really bring to bear on the differences between how people are treated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> um, a, a very simple example I can think of is is a, a neighbor who. Um, used to invite me and my wife over, over to their house uh, quite often. And um, one thing we began to notice is they would always offer offer me a beer and they would never offer her <laughs> anything to drink. And I'm just like, well, is that because she's a woman? I don't know. I mean, the wife seems to be drinking. Is it because of the color of her skin? And so, you know, we, we just don't go there anymore. We don't, we, we did bring it to their attention and we just stopped hanging out with them. But these may seem like very small things, but when you add it up in terms of your daily life, and then you start to think about things like, did you miss that promotion because of the color of your skin, um, were you pulled over at the red light because of the color of your skin and things like that. And then when, when we get into these situations where it seems almost on a daily basis now, where we learn of somebody being shot, um, you know, because of what seems like a, a, a simple, you know, uh, checkpoint at a at, at a red light and then somebody's dead. And that, that somebody is is usually a person of color. And so what I'm what I'm really trying to dig into is what's going what what collective consciousness exists and is expressed through the mind of that policeman that ends up pulling the trigger. And how do we change that same consciousness that exists in all of us, even if, even if it's not as blatantly expressed. Um, and, and trying to look at different exercises that we can do to really engineer that change. In our consciousness.
1: But you know, really what you're talking about, can I just get back to something you just said, if you don't mind? Sure. But before we do, I want to take a minute just to remind people, my very special guest today is Brett, Brett Bevel. And if you want to find out more about Brett, everything we're talking about, all of the books that he's written, really about his passion and awakening in the world, you can go to his website, Brett, B-R-E-T-T, Bevel, bevel com. And when you get there, you're going to see all of what we're talking about, whether we're talking about energy healing or healing racism within, which we've talked about, the body of work is here. But today on the show, what you did hear is you heard about what he is coming forward and speaking about. I want to ask you this question, because I've heard this more times now, Brett, and and I think you're the guy that's going to help with this. Mm I had to make a decision about a month ago as to how I would formulate the network as we're going through our expansion. And I I don't even want to go into how many questions that were presented to me when I wanted a channel, a dedicated channel that's going to address or have conversations about what we're talking about. But some of my very well-educated, been around the block, activists, people marching, the whole black lives, the whole, said to me, Pat, aren't you afraid of saying the wrong thing? And I thought about that for a minute. And then I talked to some of our hosts who actually have shows that address this issue. And I said to Anita in a show, I said, you know, we've got to take that off the table. I said, I have got to take it off the table. You've got to take it off the table. I mean, are you afraid to talk about the LGBTQ community because you left off one of the letters? Maybe you didn't say LGBTQ plus. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe you said her instead of non-binary. So are we not going to talk about things because some magic person has come up with political correctness to help us understand, Brett?
0: Yeah, I mean, I it, it's something that actually as as I wrote the book and as the book was, you know, going into galley prints and, and getting ready to come on the world, I actually had that fear. <laughs> uh, and, and I still have that fear sometimes. Am I going to say that, that something d- doesn't quite line up in the perfect way and then be be ostracized for it when when I, what I'm really trying to do is, is shed light on a really dark aspect of of our consciousness that needs deep healing. And so, yeah, I, I'm <laughs> very much in alignment with you on that yeah
1: you know it's interesting because i i was doing the other day i play sports with a lot of people that english is not their first language and i love how they make fun of how i speak chinese but i don't give up i will come out and try to pronounce and say things like ni hao i mean i will do it we cannot be afraid to speak. If we are afraid to speak, we are going to be afraid to change. That is the bottom line for me.
0: And if we're afraid to speak, then the only alternative is silence, and silence is just being complicit with the same system that has existed for hundreds of years. So we we need to be willing to speak, and even acknowledge that yeah, we might make some errors here and there, but there needs to be that openness, that willingness to have uh, a deeper conversation and and a deeper mm-hmm. dialogue.
1: Yeah, I think that we are, in we are really in a moment of silence right now. We have gone silent, right? The, the, more, the most vocal aspect of what is happening now comes from an industry that my dad was in, and he was a trucker. We all had to become teams, Teamsters members, just saying. That's the most vocal that I've seen in mass since we started to see some of the protests, how do we get past this, Brett? How do we get past this idea of white cowardice?
0: Again, for me, I think it's really each of us being willing to look at it in ourselves and look at it through um deep personal work, the same kind of work you would you would do if you're you're grieving the loss of a dear friend or if you're you know going through some other kind of trauma that you're trying to to heal uh, and using those same kind of tools. And for me, that's, that's literally how I came to this mm-hmm. work was that in my, own, in my own journey as one who had gone through severe childhood abuse, I began to notice that some of the patterns were the same mm-hmm. with, with what happened to me as a child, with what was going on with the, the, the culture at large with regards to issues around race, that same kind of issues around silence and people not speaking out and there being a mm-hmm. taboo on, on even having the conversation. And I started using those same tools that I was working on for healing myself to actually dive deeper into these questions around race. And so that's what I think all of us need to do on, on whatever level, whether it's through mm-hmm. journal writing or meditation or energy work, whatever whatever path it is that, that you feel comfortable in terms of self-examination, start to focus that lens on the issue of race and see where, where it can take you to help you enlighten your own awareness of where your own blind spots are and how to heal them and how to how to become a better person,
1: I want to jump to something that's even more subtle, but I need to talk about it because I'm really, you know, based on what I discovered about my heritage and grandfather, I've gotten acutely aware of the Latino community, my godchild, my nieces, nephews, all part of the Latino community. And I need to have a moment where we speak about that, because you can be in a room and there could be people that are speaking Russian. They could be speaking Italian. They could be speaking, I don't know, like something else. And then somebody will start to speak Spanish. And that will be a person that speaks Spanish, a person that is brown, that speaks Spanish. And you've watched the reaction and the resentment of people around that. Now that that is a level of racism that we absolutely must look at do you know what I mean
0: I know exactly what you mean I actually came from the the same kind of environment and I, I even talk about that someone in my book um, I grew up you know both in California and in New Mexico because my parents were divorced and in New Mexico a lot of people for hundreds of years have been speaking Spanish and I noticed that even though I lived with my grandparents there who who Outwardly, professed to be very liberal and enlightened, they would get so mad about people speaking Spanish. And I'm like, "But why? This makes no sense." And and I've had to to do my own inner work to shift that that upbringing that I was brought up in, you know, where I now feel almost more alive when I hear languages that are 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 not from my own uh on my own upbringing. You know, I almost feel like there's a kind of music there that that I find inspiring. And so to to have to unwind and change that sense of resentment, again, it's something that I had to do personally, but I know exactly what you're talking about because that's the environment in which I was raised and which Mm -hmm. makes no sense at all.
1: And, you know, it's interesting. May I say this? Yeah. I was shocked at the, during the primaries, Beta O'Rourke spoke Spanish. I was shocked at the laughing and the criticism for his Spanish dialect. I I wanted to reach through the TV and I just wanted to shake some people. He's not Latino. He has learned a language because he represents that. And yet now we're laughing at a white man. Uh, I, I mean, there's just no end to our lack of awareness in the humanity of what we do, right? There were more conversations about Beto Rock not speaking good Spanish than there were about the issues. And I thought to myself, I didn't know you at the time, but I bet if we would have been doing a show, you'd have had a few things to say about that, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it goes back to that sense of, you know, again, the, the environment that I that I grew up in, this kind of weird resentment of, of people speaking languages that that maybe they didn't grow up with Mm -hmm. and so um i remember those moments in the in the primary and i found them shocking too that it's just like our our whole cultural spectrum is just off and and unwilling to look at the deeper the deeper Mm -hmm. underlying things that we should be looking at and again i think that is an expression of what i call Mm -hmm. white cowardice Mm
1: -hmm. i actually picked up the phone and called the gentleman who was latino and had and called his office look we gotta stop this I am never going to speak Italian like Sophia Loren. It is not going to happen. <laughs> but I cannot be afraid to speak a dialect of Italian. I'm not going to speak uh, Portuguese. You know, my my grandfather born in Brazil. I'm not going to speak that like Giselle, Tom Brady's. I'm not going to speak it like them. But does that mean we don't try to build the bridge between love and hate here?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's all about building those bridges now. And we need now probably more than ever to really be building those bridges rather than building walls, as some people have been trying to make us do for the last five plus years.
1: I want to thank you for today. I want to ask you your personal message and what you want to leave us with. And you'll be back. But I encourage people to get a hold of you, uh, to contact you, to invite you to their shows. As a matter of fact, there are a couple of shows that I know uh, folks are going to have you on. It is such an important message and it's so beautiful the way you bring it and shed the light on it. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with and how can people find out more about you and get your books?
0: Sure. So I think my message, if there's one thing that that we could all do um, just as a personal practice is use, use what I call a multicultural gratitude practice where you start to daily acknowledge and be grateful for things that are outside your own kind of racial spectrum. Oh, man if you can if we could all just do that one thing on a daily on a daily practice and rewire our brains with that one simple technique i really think it would change the world and again the way people can find out more about me is go to my website brettbevel.com that's b r e t t b e v e l l.com there's also a message the author button if you want to write me or have a question you can also reach me on facebook as well um, so yes please uh, please also reach out Anybody who does buy the book, you can also email me and I'll give you a complimentary online course that goes along with the book as well.
1: Brett, thank you so much, I know that this is a progressive conversation, I know that you have stepped out you faced yourself just as I do on a daily basis. Um, We can't be stopped. By our ignorance, we must move forward, because the only thing that replaces ignorance is knowing thank you so much for getting out there for talking out there and for really passing the torch so the silence doesn't become so deafening that we don't even call it silence anymore thank you so much for all of that
0: thank you so much for having me on your show
1: oh my gosh we're not done yet uh, we're gonna take a short break when we come back i'm gonna be talking about yeah the future of ethics in the olympic to dope or not to dope the rope dope We'll be right back.
0: Know your own divine magic and extend peace and love to all with Reiki master and author Brett Bevel. Brett offers empowering solutions with energy healing modalities, magical awakening, and psychic Reiki. Brett's latest book, Healing Racism Within, A Lightworker's Guide, draws on his own journey of growing up in a racist community and healing childhood trauma. For more on the most cutting-edge energy healing techniques, visit brettbevel.com.
1: The truth is funny. Shift happens with monthly guest host, Karen Benton. Tune in for powerful conversations about health and wellness. Karen brings unique insights rich with humor and science to her discussions with experts in medicine, movement, psychology, spirituality, and so much more. Don't miss Karen on The Truth Is Funny every third Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Karen, visit KarenBetton.com. Do you question what an authentic life really looks like? Tune in to The Alley Effect with Allison Blythe. Authentically living life your way. Every first and third Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com, where Allison Blythe brings you tools, resources, and actionable steps toward your very best life. Take responsibility for your own happiness. For more about Allison, visit Allison, A L L Y S O N, Blythe, B-L-Y-T-H-E.com. Are you curious about who the Holy Spirit is or whether or not the Holy Spirit is real? and even more so how to connect with an invisible God on a deeper level. Join me, Dr. Lisa Kohut, on Making the Holy Spirit Famous every second and fourth Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Central Time on TransformationTalkRadio.com to begin that relationship, to begin to deepen your relationship with the Holy Spirit. To work with me, go to HolySpiritCoach.com. See you soon.
0: That's drkathyobeir.com.
1: Tune in to Knowledge Book Radio with host Marge Potasik, the fourth Tuesday each month at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Through many experiences, Marge was led to the Knowledge Book, a gift to humanity in its transition to the golden age that provides truth and answers. She now shares information from the Knowledge Book with you monthly on TransformationTalkRadio.com on Knowledge Book Radio. For more information, visit USA.TheKnowledgeBook.com net. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune in and turn on. Um, I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, This is a conversation, Benny, that I needed to have for a little bit. And, uh, you know, so why did I feel like I need to have it? I've been reading, reading the articles, I've been, you know, listening to a little bit about what's happened right, at the Olympics, especially in the arena of figure skating, and I'm a little baffled. And so here's the question as I read about the debates that are happening back and forth by athletes, uh, by previous athletes like Ms. Richardson, who was not allowed to participate uh, because of the United States decision to bench her for marijuana not the Olympic Committee decision, but the United States, right? So people are coming forward and you hear originally what you heard when this was first discovered. You heard conversations about she's a minor and nobody knew who the minor was because there are a bunch of minors that participate. But there was a minor that competed in the Olympics. We now know who she is. And it was revealed that she tested positively for a particular drug, which we're going to talk about today. But that wasn't the question. What happened thereafter is what became very confusing, at least to me. I'm an athlete. Uh, I've competed in my younger years. There were rules back in the day. And there was no way that you were going to compete in something that you disqualified yourself by taking some other action for. It used to be very clear. Pretty black and white. Pretty black and white. You take a test, you pass the test, or you don't pass the test, right? Now, am I oversimplifying it? Well, if you take a look at some of the people, and there's a lot of conversation about what the drug is. I'm going to tell you what the drug is. And believe me, I've talked to a couple of my doctor friends, uh, but the question was, oh, oh, it's not a performance enhancement drug. Well, I got to tell you, marijuana isn't either. So I'm not quite sure that that argument holds up. It is on the list of substances you cannot take. That's it. So i was a little baffled by this i thought okay all right so we're going to just march along and what's going to happen is didn't pass the test she's out the team is out they're out they're gone they're like zippo out that's not what happened and I didn't pay a lot of attention until I got a bunch of emails and I said, okay, I've got to start to look at this. So what really is the issue? Why is it so hard to look at a situation that is very clear? You either have that drug in your system or you don't. See, I, I, I'm just like, that's me. I'm an athlete. We either passed the test or we didn't either had a urine urine analysis, and you passed or you didn't. There was not like, oh, I may have passed. So I was a little baffled by this. So I talked to a couple of my friends, talked to some coaches. And this has become an issue that turned into a backstory. So what's the backstory? So one backstory is This happened to a minor, and she's not responsible. Okay, maybe she's not responsible. But the Russian Olympic Committee, the ROC, they are responsible. The people, the members of the team, the leadership, they're responsible. And it doesn't matter that she's a minor and was not responsible. It doesn't really matter. Have you ever heard of a minor being picked for a DUI, picked up for a DUI? I just want to ask you, you ever hear about any of that? You see, it's really interesting in the conversation of this, because I think, like so many of my my, colleagues think, there's more at stake here than just our hearts going out for a superbly talented young woman. Superbly talented young woman who happens to be in the middle of a blood test that showed a drug that is not allowed in the Olympics? Who doesn't feel for this woman? But how we feel, is that going to be the thing that guides us in ethics and integrity? And that's the question today. That's why I wanted to talk about it because I did some homework. I I went back and I said, like, is she. How many people have been banned from a sport for testing, and how many of them have been sanctioned? So I'm not even talking about like, oh, um, you can't you can't participate in the Olympics, and by the way, you can't get the gold in either one of those events. I'm talking about people that are of equal caliber in sports that tested positively, right? And were banned, like banned for two years. Like this one person was banned for eight years. So how do we separate the way we feel and the infraction? You know, it's not something that comes easy for us. But it really is the question for me to dope or not to dope. That's really the question. Um, I have been following also um, Ms. Richardson and her statement. And I don't know if her statement is true. I don't know if there is a question of race involved with this. I don't know. but. M- Perhaps we should look at that. Perhaps we should look at this. Perhaps this is, you know, a shame when we start to look at this issue in the Winter Games for this Russian figure skater, uh, Kamila Velievra, under investigation, skated beautifully anyway. But is it really fair? So I'm thinking to myself, I'm the Canadian team who participated in a team event and I'm fourth. And then I started to think beyond that. I was talking to Linda about it. And I said, well, wait a minute. This isn't just one person that's involved now. Because these other athletes that athletes that I mentioned, and I just mentioned a few of them, there's a whole list. You can go in and you can find a list of every athlete Right. You can look. It tells you what year uh, they were like kicked out of a sport or a competition. You can actually go in and find them all and see what country they're from. Right. You can go through and you can just go through the whole list and you can see it. And then there's the question of the drug itself, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But am I oversimplifying it? Is there no room for heart? there's never really been room for heart in Olympics and sports and competitive sports. There's really never been an issue about if you compete and we find out you're taking steroids, let's say you're gone. Lance Armstrong gone boom in a minute, but really what are we talking about? Is it the fact that we're talking about a banned substance that people have now pretty much trying to say, this particular drug, what's the big deal? TMZ. That's what it's a TMZ. It's to treat, you know, uh, the heart, heart related conditions. Okay, wait a minute. Why is a young skater on heart medicine? Okay, that was my first question to my my doctor friends. Why is that? So you can start to go down the rabbit hole like I did. You know, you could start to see what are the questions we're asking? What are we in search for? Or is it really as black and white as Ms. Richardson said? Is it really that? You dope, you're out. It doesn't matter. If it's on the list, you dope, You're out. So then I wondered, why is this so hard? I mean, it's gut wrenching for this young, superb athlete. It's gut wrenching. But why is it so hard to make that decision? I wonder. See, I don't really understand that. I don't know how you all feel. 1 800 930 2819. And I know so many people reached out over social media. In her defense, saying it's not her fault, it's not her fault, it's not her fault. True. But that goes for any athlete that's under a jurisdiction of a leadership team of any country. It's probably not their fault either. But you're competing as a country, and your country is responsible. Think about it. See, that was hard for me to come to that. It's hard for me to say that. Um, We are so unwilling to look at things that are so part of a black and white code of ethics. And I say we, I see generalizing it's hard to do. As human beings that are following the story, it's so gut wrenching. And just to watch this young woman and the talent, my gosh, it's like, what a waste. And yet, does that allow us to dismiss one of the utmost rules, the utmost rules in a championship level, high level sports competition? And that's really difficult. It's difficult. So this particular drug, I did a little research on it. Uh, One, the drug is not even approved in the United States for use. So I just want to say that that's a whole different story. But it's used to treat heart related conditions. It increases, here's here's the interesting thing about it, right? It increases blood flow to the heart which limits rapid swings in blood pressure. So I love listening to the arguments, oh, this drug, that is not going to do anything. It's not, that's not going to, it doesn't mean anything, but think about it. Think about a drug that regulates your blood pressure. Think about what blood pressure does, right? Think about any one of us that maybe have got like a wacko blood pressure thing going on. You can't take it if you're in the United States. But let's just say we were. And it gave us this sense of regulation that no other athlete competing could achieve. See, this is really the question. This is the question. Did it give one athlete over another an advantage in preparation for the sport? Because we go through the same thing with steroids, right? Oh, Joe took steroids for six months before he played the football game. But when he played the football game, hello, we what we found out was, okay, he was not actually on steroids at the time. You know, he didn't test positively. He just took them over here because he was in a training. And it helped him in the training. So that doesn't count. But here's a question I, I'm trying to understand. Is it not as simple as doping or not doping? I know in the sports that I competed in, it was very clear. It was like, yeah, that, that you just are not showing up like you have a clean set of blood work or urine analysis. You're just like, you're not going to, don't even come on a court. But I wonder why this case is so different. I wonder why this case is so different. But here's another question that I don't have an answer to. And I I wonder how you all feel about it. You know, I've competed in sports. Um, I became ineligible to compete to become part of the uh, U.S. team uh, when I was playing very competitively. because. I accepted $10 for winning <laughs> for winning a an event and there was a $10 prize. I actually don't remember getting the 10 bucks. But that made me ineligible and I remember showing up uh to compete to become part of the US team. Stood a pretty good chance and became immediately ineligible because that that particular competition and, re- and taking $10 moved me from an amateur to a professional. And I remember the moment and I remember crying. And I, oh my God, I, I was, it was just my coach, Sam, was like, Pat, what did you do? And I'm like, Sam, I don't even remember the competition because I used to compete every weekend. I happened to compete in one. That gave money. And I cried. And I tried to give the $10 back. (laughs) I remember being at the registration desk, you know, pulling out a $10 bill to give the $10 back. But no. And then I had to take responsibility for my ignorance. There was nothing I was going to be able to do or say that was going to change this team trial committee from allowing me to even compete. And I learned a lesson from that. Just because I wasn't aware doesn't make me non-complicit. And see, this to me, as I thought about doing this show today, and I thought about what happened to our young athlete who got caught up in marijuana smoking, got suspended for 30 days by the United States, who lost her mom, one of the fastest women on the track, yes, a woman of color, who's speaking out right now, and where people want to say to her, your case is different. They wanna say, Your case is different because that was the United States. They want to try to convince her that her suspension for 30 days is different. The only difference that I see is that she's a woman of color. I don't see much difference, whether it's the United States or uh, IOC or it's some other committee. I don't see the difference. If you dope, the answer is nope. It's that simple. If you dope, the answer is no. But I talked to a friend of mine who's um, on the team that's in fourth place, a friend of mine who is a friend of one of the athletes on the Canadian team. And we're not even talking about the impact on these people. See, this goes so much down the, further down the rabbit hole because people in power and authority cannot make a decision cannot make a decision that is consistent with every other athlete that has come along. They cannot make that decision. And so the ripple effect from all of this, the ripple effect that we are discussing and talking about here, it's not about one athlete anymore. It's about all of the athletes that are competing today. All of the athletes that had to follow a particular rule, all of the athletes that are waiting. And and let me just say this, my friend who just was crying, just crying in tears because her niece could not go through an award ceremony, maybe not the goal, but could not go through an award ceremony at the Olympics in Beijing. Do you see the ripple effect of this? It's not just about a young, very talented skater. It's about the inability to people in authority to be consistent and following the rules that we all know were set in place for a reason. And you know, when I think about this, And I think about what we're talking about, and I think about Ms. Richardson, who is openly out in public, probably at risk for a lot of things, who is saying this is not different. You know, Shakari Richardson speaking out, saying this is not different. I wonder where the other athletes are. Are we afraid to ruffle feathers? What if you were sitting in fourth place and you knew that there was a team that was going to be awarded the gold medal in the Olympics that did not get there according to the standards and ethics of what the Olympic Games are meant to be like and meant to be? My friend put it really easily for me, especially about this particular drug. She said, it's really very simple, Pat. She said, I'm a medical doctor. I'm an environmental doctor. I work with athletes all the time. I'm familiar with the drug. Uh, And uh, she tried to explain to me how this drug was related to the skater's grandfather's medication. And she was trying to explain this to me. And I said, does any of that matter? Does the story of, I don't know, are are we saying her grandfather gave it to her? Does any of that matter if the drug is in somebody's system? There are more questions that I have than not but there's a reason that this drug was banned and the reason that it's not approved in the United States. It is to limit swings in blood pressure. It's to monitor the heart. Uh, It has been on the World Antidobin Agency's list as a prohibited substance since 2014, as a hormone and metabolic modulator. It's illegal for athletes to both use it in and out of competition, as it increases blood flow efficiency and improves endurance. End of the story. But now we wait because people that are in leadership cannot make a decision, nor do they understand the impact of their lack of decision-making to other athletes that are sitting and watching and thinking other athletes that are waiting, and have now been given a lost opportunity to stand on a podium and receive any medal that they've earned. I don't understand why this is so difficult. But maybe it's because I was an athlete for so many years of my life, and I really understand the rules and the regulations we follow. And I also understand that my ignorance about taking a $10 bill for a competition I won, put me out of the running to participate in any amateur sports. And I cried. And I was sad. Then I was angry. And then I just looked at myself and my coach and said, that was really stupid, Pat.